So glad to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, we've been in this series where we've been talking about prayer, um, and if you haven't been joining us or if you haven't been watching online, you should totally check it out and go back and check them because it has been awesome. Uh, but one of the big things that we've been talking about through this series is just this idea of changing our posture when it comes to prayer. So often uh, when we think about prayer, it was maybe something that you were taught like as a kid, or maybe you weren't even like taught it specifically as a kid, but you kind of picked it up picked up on it from other people. Maybe you've seen it in media. But oftentimes when it comes to prayer, we've kind of had this posture of like, gimme, 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 right? Like, give me the things, almost like this big list like this that we're going to give Santa Claus. Like, these are the things that I want. And we've kind of been talking through this series about changing what our prayer posture is. Um, And as we get going this morning, um, I want to just say something. I'm going to admit something to you guys. Um, And if you want to leave... As I say this, I give you a free pass to go ahead and leave. Um, I've struggled with prayer. I didn't get hit by lightning. (laughs) All right, we're good, right? Like, I have struggled with prayer. Prayer has not been something for me that comes naturally. It's something that I have worked on, and I'm saying that as, like, the official pastor man, like, speaking on stage today, right? Like, I, I, there's been times where, like, for me, prayer, I've gone through seasons when, like, it feels like it's going really good, right? Like, it feels like, all right, like, I feel like I'm praying for this. It feels like I'm kind of vibing with it. Something's working. God's moving. Um, I've had other seasons um, where, like, it kind of, to be honest, it kind of feels like I've just been waiting for a long time. Some of those still haven't been answered, and I kind of just get really, really frustrated. And if I'm going to be really honest, um, there have been multiple times, multiple seasons in my life where I have felt like I was just kind of talking to a wall, and I'm like, what am I doing right now? And so I hope, um, as I kind of admit that on the front end of this, like for all of us here, this gives you permission to just admit, like be honest with where you're at um, and maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, maybe like you're in one of those seasons, maybe you're in a mixture of one of those things. I hope you can feel welcome and just be open and honest here. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know if this whole prayer thing, I don't even know if this is real. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here with us. Um, but I think for me, part of my struggles with prayer is sometimes um, prayer kind of felt like something I was doing instead of action. Um, kind of like almost in the same way, like if uh, one of my buddies came over and said, hey, help me move. And then I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And then I showed up and like I ate his pizza. I drank all the drinks. So that's what you get when you help people move. Um, and then like instead of actually moving anything, I just talked to him the whole time. <laughs> like he's carrying the couch by himself and I'm just going, yeah, 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 wouldn't it be great if you had like someone helping you carry this couch right now? Or like, you know, like all these other things. It felt like I was just kind of talking without actually doing anything. I think the other reason, one of the other reasons I've struggled with prayer is that sometimes like we kind of live in this life that is like high speed life, like right, like over the top productive, trying to like, if you look at my like YouTube history, like I'm constantly looking up videos of like how to be more productive, 10 ways you can make your 2020 more productive, whatever it is, right? And if we're honest, like at least for me, like prayer kind of doesn't feel very productive oftentimes. Um, sometimes when I'm praying, it kind of just feels like I'm doing like the old John Mayer song, waiting for the world to change, right? It kind of feels like I'm just like, all right, I hope something happens here. And I think because of that, um, there are true things, two things, well, a lot of things are true about prayer, but specifically two um, that I'm going to talk about in this moment. Um, the first one that's true about prayer is prayer is passive. And that, I think that is fully true. Um, last week, Joel had said, uh, prayer is communication with God through communion with God. And so, like, I think, and oftentimes, prayer, 
for us is a lot less like a wish list and oftentimes is more like a conversation. And if you've ever had a conversation, which I'm assuming you have, um, we, like those are all different, right? Like even for me, like I think about like the conversations I've had with my wife this week. Um, they are all different kinds of conversations. Like sometimes it is like her maybe telling me information, right? And it's her like telling me about like her day or something that happened or some sort of big change. And in those moments, like I am listening, but it's kind of passive. I'm not like specifically doing anything with that information, right? Sometimes our conversations can be really goofy and weird. I'm a big fan of like, would you, what would you do if, or like, would you rather, right? Like, would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? right? Like real quick, turn to your neighbor and tell them real quick. You got two seconds. Ready? Tell them. Go. All right, we're moving on. So that's why I like being with the adults. If I was in middle school and high school right now, they would still be talking about it and there'd be a fight breaking out. So um, yeah. Or sometimes um, one our conversations can be like us like uh, in uh, next week, I think. Uh, my daughter's having her birthday. I don't know what her age is going to be because I'm the dad. Um, <laughs> Just joking. She's going to be three. It's on Tuesday. Um, but like, I, we've been making plans, right, for like, who are we going to invite? What are we going to do? Where are we going to meet at? Are we going to gift? Of course, we got to get a gift. We're getting in trouble. Um, but like, all these things that were then, you know, giving us action to do something with it, right? That's for our conversation. So in the other side of it is that these two things are both true, that prayer is passive and prayer is active, these two things, even though they feel like complete opposites, are both 100% true of prayer. Um, it actually reminds me of this Gandhi quote that I can't help but like, think about when it comes to prayer, and it says this, prayer is not an old woman's amusement. Properly understood and applied, it is the most potent instrument of action. I think for us, so often, Prayer is one of those things that's so beautiful because it can kind of help us to refocus on what God is doing around us. So often, it's so easy to get caught up in the noise and all the different things going on. It is easy to help us kind of just zone in on what God has for us in that moment. Um, when, I, when me and my wife uh, first moved into our house, we had been living in an apartment for a few years and we got our first house. And naturally, because we moved from an apartment to a house, we didn't have very much furniture yet, right? Like we had like this little one bedroom, now we were moving into a house. Um, and so thankfully, uh, my parents gave us like some money and said, Hey, why don't you guys buy some furniture for your house? We're embarrassed of you guys having nothing but a couch in your house. They, they didn't say that. Um, but like we, you know, naturally we had like some money to buy furniture and we really needed to make sure it stretched out. So we went to the only place you would go if you really have some money and you need to get a lot of furniture for it. We went to Ikea, right? Um, and thankfully we made it unlike some couples that, I don't know if you guys know this, there's a whole thing. Like if you go to Ikea as a couple, this is where you go to break up. So thankfully we made it through, had some amazing meatballs. Um, but, um, I remember like coming home and we had like, it was a pretty, a bunch of furniture that we had bought from this place. Right. And like the first, like two or three, like I put together, followed the instructions, did all the things by like the fourth one, I instantly thought like, I like, I got this. I don't need the instructions. Like I've been doing this over and over now. And like, yeah, this is a different piece of furniture, but they're all kind of the same. Right. And so like, I'm like, I don't need the instructions, throw it away. I'm getting like all big and proud of myself. And then like bust out all the pieces literally within moments. I'm like, I made a horrible mistake. And like instantly, like I'm like digging into the trash to find these instructions. Right. Cause I think oftentimes kind of like prayer, like sometimes we can have the materials, we can have the talents, but we still need that guidance of what to do next. I think oftentimes prayer is the first step, not 
the final step when it comes to this. So then this week, the prayer that we're going to be looking at, the prayer that we're going to be jumping into is simply this, send me, God, send me. And so we're going to be looking at uh, this passage in the book of Isaiah um, and as we were looking at it, uh, just give you like a little bit of background. Uh, maybe you've heard of Isaiah, maybe you haven't. He's kind of uh, known as like one of like the big kind of prophets in the Old Testament. This is like before Jesus was on the scene. Um, this is like, he was kind of like a big prophet for that time. Um, and when we think of prophets, at least for me growing up, I always thought of like some person with like a crystal ball and they probably had like creepy weird fingernails and like they were always like telling the future, right? It was always like, oh yeah, this is going to happen in the future and this is going to happen. And like, yes, there is for sure like some prophets are like speaking parts into the future, but more often than not, what prophets were actually doing is they were just God's mouthpiece to be able to speak to a people during a certain time, kind of speaking this big truth over them. And so this is where Isaiah's life is going to lead. This is like the very beginning. None of the things that he is going to say has been said yet. This is kind of the start of his ministry as we check it out. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. This is what it starts with. In the year of King Uzziah's death. All right. If you're like me, when I first read this this week, I was like, who is King Uzziah and why do I care? Right? Like, oftentimes, I think when we read the Bible, um, this is like one of those ones where you're like, all right, this is kind of the filler. Just keep on going. This doesn't matter. Um, but what I think is important for us to just take a real quick note of is that um, this is actually, when I looked up, King Uzziah reigned for like 50 plus years, and it was super prosperous, right? Everything was going good. Everyone was happy. But then, as you already know, that when one king dies, then we need another king, Right? And so they were literally right in the middle of this time of a lot of political turmoil, right? There's, some might even say, uncertain times and unprecedented times for like these people that they were living in, right? Because they, some people, I'm sure, probably were really excited for whoever this next new king was going to be. And some people were probably like, nope, I want the old king. I don't like this king. And either way, things were going to be changing for them. But let's continue on in the passage. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. Two, they veiled their faces to their feet, and with two, they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, there's a few things I kind of want to kind of focus on in this, because this could be one message for the entire day, right? Um, but uh, one thing is I love the juxtaposition that this starts with, right? Like it says like, hey, there's this moment where there's all this political turmoil, there's all this change happening, but guess what? I saw the Lord sitting on high on an exalted throne. He's like, you know what? Even though I was unsure, and maybe other people were unsure of what was going on, God was still in control. And can I just say, like, this is something maybe we need to be reminding ourselves of more and more, that no matter what is going on, God is still our hope, that God is still in control. And then the next thing it talks about are these winged creatures. Um, and depending on your translation, some of them call them seraphim, um, some people understand this to be angels. Some people just think they're kind of like part of like this hem- heavenly body of people up there. But either way, we kind of see that it has some sort of body and then it has six wings, right? 
And it specifically says, like, two are hiding their face, two are hiding its feet, and then one is actually flying around about with. And I think, at least for me, this is, like, why we know that God is so amazing and we kind of, like, sell it short all the time. Because I don't know about you, but, like, when I think of something as really, really amazing, not one time have I ever hid my eyes, right? Like, um, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I'm really hoping to go actually here maybe in the next year or two. Um, but everyone I've talked to, except for like maybe two people who said, yeah, it's overrated. But besides those people, everyone I know talks about like how amazing it is like when you walk up to the Grand Canyon that you're kind of like just blown away. They're mesmerized by it, right? Like they can't take their eyes off it. It's the most amazing thing they've ever seen, yet they can't stop looking at it. And like for me, like I think about like the very first time um, I walked into a pizza hut and saw a stuffed crust pizza and it was incredible. I was like, what? You mean I get to add more cheese into the pizza? This isn't, this is the best, best day ever, right? And like, I couldn't take my eyes off that pizza. It was incredible, right? But God being so good, so amazing, so great that literally they're shielding their eyes from him because of how great and amazing he is. That's why I know we so often sell God short for how good and amazing he is. And then the other thing I wanted to point out, you can throw that passage back up real quick, is that they say God is holy, holy, holy. They say it on repeat, right? Almost like they're trying to like, almost like search for like this other word to use and describe like, you know, holy is not good enough. You don't have a better word? All right, just say it three times, right? Like we're just like, holy, 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 just emphasizing how big and other and amazing God is. So Isaiah has this amazing experience with God. What was his response? Let's check it out. He says, I said, mourn for me. I am ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heavenly forces. So Isaiah has this moment with God, right? He gets to experience God and it instantly humbles him. His experience with God leads him to realizing how unworthy he is. This isn't God saying you're unworthy. That is him just experiencing God and going, oh, wow, I am not worthy. And I think if we're honest, oftentimes we get into this same place a lot and we get stuck there, right? Maybe you're, you could say, like, maybe you haven't said these exact phrases, but maybe you've said things like it, like, man, I'm not who I thought I would be. I'm not who I should be now. Or like five, 10 years ago, man, I thought I'd be so much farther than that at this point in my life now than I am right now. Or maybe you thought, like, I'm broken. Like, how can God use me? Or maybe you've even thought, like, all right, like, God can use, like, a little bit of brokenness, but do you know how far, you know what I've done God can't use me. Or maybe you thought like, you know what? I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. You can fill in your blank enough of like the excuses that we've used before. Or maybe you're here and you're even like, man, to be honest, like I don't even know if like the thing that you're talking about is even real. Like I don't even know if I believe in this whole thing. And again, thank you for joining us. We're so glad that you're here. But so often because of like these excuses that we use like, we can kind of get stuck here for months, for weeks, sometimes years, 
and end up missing out on what God could be doing through you because we get just stuck focusing in on our brokenness or how we're inadequate to do the things that God has. But thankfully, the passage doesn't end there. Let's continue Isaiah verses six and seven. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Now, again, there's a lot happening here, but what we see is that Isaiah, despite his brokenness, despite all the things he just said about himself, he realizes that he is still receiving grace. And this grace changes everything for Isaiah, right? Your guilt has departed, your sin is removed. God's grace gives Isaiah grace for his own shortcomings. And what's amazing is that we get to experience that same grace because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that because of that, we don't have to be stuck where we were before, maybe in our inadequacies and the ways that we are unworthy. No, we get to experience that grace too. So Isaiah experiences how good, how great God is, experiences grace, then this question is asked from him. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, whom should I send and who will go for us? Asking like, who's gonna go out into the world for us? Who is gonna serve us in that way? And this is how Isaiah responds. I said, I'm here, send me. Right? He basically says, like, God, use me. So Isaiah is in this world, filled, probably feeling so broken, feeling like no one can get along. Isaiah experiences how good God is, experiences his grace. And his natural response is, God, send me, use me. And I think, if we're going to be honest, like, we do this all the time, right? Like, when we experience something really good, our natural reaction is we want to share it with other people, right? Whether it's like food, movies, music, trips. Like this is why if you're like me, I have like at least 20 shows I'm supposed to watch that are on my backlog of shows I'm supposed to watch, right? Because there are so many people like, oh my gosh, you haven't seen that yet? That is so amazing. You have to watch this. You got to see this show. It's so good. Like it's natural for us, right? Um, a, a very real practical example for me, at least, um, is uh, we play. We like to play some video games at my house. Um, and like a year and a half ago, there was like these two new consoles that came onto the market. You may have heard of them: um, the PlayStation Five, the Xbox Series X. Right? They were like the two big new consoles. But the thing that a lot of people have been frustrated about is you can't find them in stores. Because like either people buy them up instantly because everyone really wants them or like a whole bunch of people have been like buying them and reselling them online. Um, and I'm just, I, my morals are too high. I cannot pay more than the standard price for something. So, or maybe I'm just cheap. Um, but either way, I'm like, I'm not gonna pay the higher prices. I'm waiting to find the store. So like, I'll be honest, like literally every time we go into a store that has like an electronic section, that's like the IB line over there just to make sure. And like, I've been doing it for like a year and a half and like nothing's there. A month ago, walking to Target, I, was, I, I literally got lost hope. I wasn't even gonna go over and my son goes, hey dad, let's go check the electronics. We check over, there's an Xbox Series X. Go ahead, throw up that picture. My son, 
can I just say, was ecstatic. I was saying earlier, I should have taken a video because this doesn't even touch how excited he was in the moment. Because like I had been telling him for like a year and a half, I was like, buddy, I got money saved up. Like if we see one, we're buying it on the spot. Like it is 100% we're in. So as soon as he saw it, he's like, all right, we taking this home, right? And like he wouldn't let anybody else touch it. Like he was like the whole way home. He was like, dad, we're, this is awesome. He didn't even want me to like take it out of his hands to scan it. Like he's like, dad, I'll hold it. You just use a hand scanner. Like that's how serious it was. Not a joke. Within five minutes of being home, again, I haven't texted anybody about this. Like, I got home, and like, obviously, like, my wife and my kids knew that we had bought this, um, but I haven't told anybody. My phone is then blowing up from people texting me going, Heard you got a Series X. I'm like, How did you find out? To find out, like, literally within moments of us being home, he gets on our then old Xbox and, like, is already messaging everyone, Guess what? We got a Series X, right? Like, his natural response was to go out and to share it. He didn't have to, he got to do it. He was excited to do it. And I think so often we get it backwards, right? We get stuck in like, oh, I have to do this for God. Like, can you imagine if I told you that story and it was the complete opposite where he was like, oh, dad, do we have to buy it? Oh man, I guess we can get it. Like the whole time, like feeling like really ungrateful, like so often that is what we get stuck in, right? We get into this place where we're like, oh, we have to do this thing that God's calling us to instead of being honored that we get this opportunity, So our question for this morning is simply this. God is sending us out. How will you respond? God is calling us to participate in bringing the up there down here. He is wanting to partner with us in healing this world. Like Isaiah was this imperfect messenger carrying the message of a perfect God. And we have that same opportunity to be imperfect vessels carrying the message of a perfect God. But so often we kind of find ourselves making up excuses, right? It's so easy. Sometimes I think there's two big excuses that we use. The first one is that we're just simply afraid, right? Like we're like, I just don't, like what if, what if God's gonna call me to something I hate? What if like, and maybe I don't know, maybe he's gonna call you to something really, really hard. I have not experienced anyone who has been called to something God, like you hate. Like I really hate snakes. God has not yet called me to a snake ministry. Thankfully, I'm really hoping that that's not gonna happen. But like that has never happened to me, right? Like I've been called into really uncomfortable moments and maybe things that have stretched me and think that like maybe in the moment I'm like, I don't really wanna do this. But like on the backside of it, I'm always so glad when I say yes and join in. Um, for me, like the perfect analogy is like kids. And if you've ever had kids here, um, you will feel this. Um, there are t- days where like, man, it is a joy being a parent. There are days I don't really love being a parent every moment of the day, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, sometimes it gets really hard. There was a day earlier this week where one of my sons was just really mad for like two hours and was just mad about everything. And no matter what we said, it wasn't gonna change his mind, right? And so like when we, when we lay down, like you're just laying down so frustrated, but... As frustrating as kids can be sometimes, there's never a moment when I have never thought like, man, this is worth it right now. And like, I know like the free time in my life is so far gone, but I am so much more fulfilled and happier in my life than I would have been otherwise if I hadn't made this choice for us. So sometimes it's just that we're afraid, right? The other side of it is sometimes we just don't feel qualified. That's the other excuse that we can use sometimes when God's calling us to something, right? We're like, oh, well, 
I'm not qualified. That's why we pay the church staff, right? Like that's why there's Joel and Nico and Abby and Allison and Ken and whoever other person you want to think of, right? Like they are the people that are doing the work. We're just kind of like, we're fundraising. We're kind of just showing up. We're maybe bringing someone on occasion. No, no, no. That is not uh, what we're about. Um, Ephesians 2.10 says it this way that I think is uh, perfect for this moment. It says, instead, we are God's accomplishment. Some uh, translations put it as handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. He planned for us to do good things. And yes, uh, when Paul was writing this, he was writing to a specific church at a specific time, but it still applies to us today that God already has things planned out for you. God has called you for so much more. And that's in every area of your life. Maybe um, for you, like this is gonna look like shifting how you live your home life, right? Like not just being present, not just being there, but like saying, you know what, God, you are sending me out. I wanna be the most loving person that I can be to my family. I wanna be supportive. I wanna go above and beyond. Maybe this means loving like that family member. Just when I said that, you already have that, that in your head, right? Like, that family member, even when it's not easy, or maybe taking care of that person in your family, even when maybe they're not always as grateful as you want them to be, even when like, oh yeah, it was kind of easy for me to just send a meal, but going, you know what, I'm going to go even above and beyond that and start spending time making this like a regular rhythm. Or maybe for you, it's like, what about like your work and like, or your school? right? Like, I fully believe, like, as uh, someone who's a Jesus follower, like, we should be some of the hardest working people. I think uh, hard work is, like, honoring to God. But I think sometimes the flip side of that is sometimes we can make it so, like, hard work becomes, like, its own God in itself, right? Like, we're only worried about, like, I'm just gonna get as much done as I can. I'm gonna be as productive as I can. And then that is me and, like, being, like, the best example. But I think, what if we started asking ourselves and said, like, is your work, is your school better because you are there? Not just because you're more productive, but is like that your work environment healthier because of you being there? Like, are you making time, like, during your work day to, like, just listen to someone else? Not to just go, like, oh, yeah, 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 sounds great, that was a great weekend, yep, say yeah, and then, like, going on to your next thing, but like actually listening, reaching out, treating them like, uh, they're not just a coworker, but like actually like a human being, right? Like, are you slowing down? Like, you know what? I'm not just gonna only have like work lunches. I'm actually gonna make time to like just have a lunch where I can just hang out with somebody else, get to know them better, see what's going on in their life. Is your work healthier because you are there? I used to have um, this coworker at a place I previously worked um, that I thought did an amazing job at this. Um, she, what made her different than everyone else is like, yes, she was like super productive and she had uh, the, even the people, she did the same amount of work as the people who were in her position before, but she was constantly always checking in with everybody else to see how they were feeling. She was constantly always checking in to like celebrate, even sometimes the smallest things where I'd be like, 
why are you celebrating this right now? She's like, because it's fun. She uh, would sometimes even just do random pranks in the office just because, just for the fun of it, right? And it literally completely changed like the entire work environment, like all the same people, but just that entire culture around our, our staff had completely shifted because of this one person making other people a focus, making it so it's not just about being more and more productive, but how she could just love and care and listen for other people. And maybe um, after all of this, you're like, all right, I get all those things, but like, I still don't feel like that natural reaction, right? I've, I still don't feel like there's anything there. And if, you're, if that's where you're at, I think there's two things that we can do to kind of help us to kind of refocus, to kind of use prayer in this way that we can find our ways to be able to send out because we get to. Um, the first one is simply this. Like, are you making time to experience God? Are you experiencing God? And I think sometimes um, when we say this, like, the instant thing that we think of is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've had, like, I've, I've had an experience with God one time, like, in my past, right? No, no, no. I'm saying, like, are you making this, like, a weekly, a daily, like, an hourly thing that you are getting to experience God to help kind of refocus you, to keep you on mission, Maybe that is like, you know, reading your Bible, prayer. Like, I know those are the big two we always got to say, right? But like, maybe some, for some of you, like, maybe that means like making Sundays like a priority. Like, you've kind of just shown up like when it's easy. What if like, maybe for you, like, I'm going to start making Sunday mornings like a priority that I have to be there. Or maybe for some of you, it's like joining in on a table group and like getting involved in like that community. Um, and if you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't really care about table groups. I don't really want to be a part of that. You know what? I'll be honest. I, uh, I'm, again, I'm a pastor. I'm going to admit this. I have been in so many small groups, table groups, life groups, whatever groups you want to call them over the years. Not one have I ever looked forward to going to any of them. Not a single time. I'm just admitting this right now. It's not even in my notes. Um, but every single time on the back end, I've always been, I'm so glad I went every single time. And so if you're here and you're like, I just don't know, like that doesn't sound fun, give it a try. Worst case scenario, you could ghost them and they don't talk to them anymore, right? Like, <laughs> like just give it a try. And more often than not, again, I have been so glad that I went every single time. Or maybe for you, experiencing God is like, you know what? I'm going to start taking more time to make sure I'm like, maybe going, like going into nature. Like for me, like when I go into the woods and kind of just see, get like surrounded by trees and nature and like kind of just getting a look at the trees, I just feel like, man, God is big. Like maybe for you, like that is like that rhythm that you're going to start incorporating. You kind of continually feel like the bigness and the amazingness of God. Maybe it's music, whatever it is, find that thing for you. Because the difference is huge here. Because this makes it so that you're not just doing things for God, but you're doing things with God. It gives you that ability to continue to sustain yourself, right? Um, if you're anything like me, there are times where people have asked me to do both big things and small things. Um, and like sometimes even in the smallest thing, like, hey, go get me that cup of water. I will be like, I'll go, oh yeah, yeah, I'll go get that for you. But the whole time I'm ahead, I'm like, this is like, they could have got this. Like, why am I getting this? And like, I'm kind of annoyed the whole time I'm trying to do like this favor for this person. And every single time I guarantee I'm trying to do that for God and not really with God, right? Like I'm not really being replenished and fulfilled by God in those moments. He's not really sustaining me. I'm just trying to do it because I want to look good, right? The second thing is, are you experiencing God? Are you available? Again, our culture, like we like to go at breakneck speed, right? 
and intentionally making space in your calendar is so important. Like this week alone, you have 168 hours. Like if someone paused and like laid out like how you spent every single hour of this last week, how many, how many of those hours or how many of those minutes would they say like you were partnering with God, trying to find ways to serve other people, to be sent out by God in other ways? Like, honestly, like how often would that actually happen? Or does it more feel like it's just like, oh, I just, I worked a lot, then I went to sleep, spent a little bit of time with my family, and then I was, you know, back to doing that same thing. Are we being intentional with our time, looking for ways that we can serve, looking for ways to show kindness to people around us? Um, For me, one of the small things that I've done that, at least for me, has felt like it has made a huge difference in the way that I see this, is I've tried to get really good at just doing like one sentence prayers. Like going into like, if I'm going into like a meeting with somebody, I'll just pray something as simple as like, God, let me really hear what they have today. Or if I'm like going into, maybe even if it's like, I don't really like this person, I gotta meet with them anyways. And I'm like, you know what, God, help me to just get out of the way. I want what you want in this conversation. Or like sometimes if I'm like going into the store, like a grocery store, just being normal, just buying groceries, right? Um, and just like do like a real quick, like God, help me just be your hands and feet. Help me to maybe see people the way that you see people. And like sometimes I just go in and like it's like a normal grocery visit, right? Or like a normal meeting. But other times it's kind of helped me become more aware of listening of my own tendencies to kind of just be really selfish when I'm in conversations with other people and instead going, you know what? I need to really listen. And oftentimes some of the best things that I've been able to do to serve other people have come out of those simple kind of one sentence prayers. And all I'm really saying in those moments right, is God send me. God, let me just be used by you. Well, the band is going to come up here to give us an opportunity to respond back to God. And as they're coming up here, um, I have this quote that I want to share with you um, by the psychologist that, to be honest, because of his name, I can't help but imagine this man, William McGill, with like a cowboy hat on. Like, I just, I don't know why. He feels like a cowboy hat kind of guy, Willie McGill. Um, But this is this quote that I think is so good for us in this moment. The value of persistent prayer is not that God will hear us, but that we will finally hear God. Guys, when we make this a priority, when we make this a practice in our lives, this is our way to actively participate where God is moving around us. We get to partner in. We get his marching orders for how we are gonna help heal this broken world. We get to bring that up there, down here and help make bring a little piece of heaven to this earth that we're living in. So um, this morning, I thought there would be no better way for us to end this message than uh, taking a moment to just pray together. Um, but I want to do it a little bit different. Instead of the normal, like, eyes closed, everyone's head bowed. Um, if you would, real quick, could everyone just stand up? Um, and if you're comfortable, you can totally put your hands out like this, kind of as just a posture of like, you know, I'm open to what you have, God. Again, if you don't want to, that's totally fine. Um, but what I want to do is there's this prayer that um, I think at some point I heard it in seminary um, by this uh, old uh, monk named St. Francis um, that has stuck with me ever since. And so what I want us to do is just read it out loud together um, as we kind of prepare our hearts and our minds. And again, after we get done praying, the band will play us out. Um, and there's just as a heads up, there is a whole nother paragraph after this. So prepare yourself. We're not going to end there. All right, ready? Let's read this together. 
Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.